This episode is brought to you by Cabot Creamery, proud to be a dairy farm family-owned cooperative for more than 100 years. Learn more at cabotcheese.coop. That's cabotcheese.coop. It's September, and as the days get shorter and temperatures cooler, it's time to go back to school. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at how lunchtime is changing from elementary schools through college, whether classes are remote or in person. While there was some information about where families could access food, it was spread out on many different websites. I'm seeing people, you know, advocate for, like, going back into school and... A main reason is, you know, food insecurity, like kids go to school and they get fed. And I'm just, that's a whole other thing of like, fight for kids to be fed versus like going to school. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. Today, I hope they are all tuning in to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Today is episode 216. We are recording virtually on Zencaster on September 8th, 2020. This is the official start to our fall winter season on Heritage Radio, and it's great to be here. It's great to be starting a new season, and in all honesty, I I can't really tell you what it's going to be like, but we're going to keep making shows and keep talking to people who have been rolling with the punches these past six months in a global pandemic. Today, our guest is someone that faithful listeners will have heard of before, Michael Wolf, publisher of The Spoon, which really is one of, if not the leading food tech publications online right now. They really track everything from drone delivery to lab-created foods to grocery store technology. Michael, thank you for joining us from Seattle. Hey, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be on the first episode of your new season. It is an exciting time in many ways. (laughs) (laughs) So today we have Michael on to talk about the upcoming Smart Kitchen Summit, which will happen this October. But before we get there, Michael, um, you know, you've been on the show in the past talking about um, some of the different annual tech, food tech roundups you've done and things like that. Um, You've been out to the studio in Bushwick, so it's always nice to have a, a familiar voice. But tell us what you've been doing since March. Well, like many, uh, my life and my business was impacted fairly drastically. When you do an event where you bring people together in physical spaces, um, or when you do a business that was largely centered around that, you have to give it some new, uh, thought when there's there's a pandemic. It's funny. My last event was actually, uh, in-person event was February, late February in New York City in your, your neck of the woods. And, uh, at that point I actually, you know, the pandemic was actually fairly on the radar. Um, we had actually, I had actually knew by late February, early March that the smart kitchen summit would have to go virtual. And so much of the past six months has been spent, uh, obviously reporting and, and thinking about how 
COVID-19 will impact all the different parts of the food business and how in many ways it's serving as a catalyst for reinvention, which is in some ways exciting, some ways scary, but also just trying to figure out how we can help people in a way that doesn't necessarily involve bringing a bunch of people into a, like one big room. So that, that's like a lot of what we've been doing. How did you know in February that your October event seems so far away would need to become a virtual event? Uh, I When I look back at February and March and even April, there was, I wouldn't say resistance, but I would call it maybe disbelief or uncertainty about, you know, how long a you know, shelter at place or quarantine would last, how long these physical distancing uh, rules and regulations would last. And, you know, many, you know, companies were sort of waiting to see, waiting to see, pushing things back. What was it that, what was it that told you back in February that you needed to convert this event to something virtual? I mean, part of it is we're a small startup and we're not one of these big, exhibition companies that can afford to say, okay, let's plan for five months and then call it off the last month. Um, you know, I, I'd been watching companies that put on things like South by Southwest. I had been watching like that, uh, the housewares association that was, you know, up to a pretty late in the game, actually saying, Hey, we're going to have a big convention in, in Chicago in March and bring a bunch of people together. I was just looking at them going, you know, no one is going to go in part because, there's travel restrictions starting to kind of come down around the country and across the globe, but also like just the psychology of human beings and knowing that like, Hey, what's safer? Should I just stay here and not necessarily go to this big conference this year, not get on a plane and possibly get sick. Um, also knowing, you know, that kind of mental psychology combined with the fact that vaccines were not around the corner. Um, you, you, it became fairly clear at, by February, that COVID-19 was a, a, a pandemic, that there was no vaccine immediately or cure immediately in the offing. And so just being this combination of a small company, we couldn't spend six months planning for something that wouldn't happen. And just the, the psychology of human beings, knowing that they probably would rather just sit this year out, you know, it, it became pretty clear that we would have to go virtual. It's interesting to hear you talk about the psychology of what people might be feeling or thinking. And of course, psychology is science, but it's interesting in that, you know, we've been talking to so many companies and organizations these past six months, and not many of them are, are talking about the emotional side of things and how people are feeling and whether they feel safe or feel like they want to go somewhere or do something. So I think it's interesting, especially coming from a person who is well embedded into the food tech space where we maybe think about that as being um, not necessarily emotional, but you know, I, I suppose on the flip side, people who are entrepreneurs and who are creators and innovators are actually fueled by you know passion and emotion many times. So it's an interesting juxtaposition, I think, um, to sort of being you know to to have as a part of your consideration set, you know, the psychological state of your of your audience. Yeah, I mean, we're a business with two sides. We have a, a publication where we try to apply journalistic practices and be analytical and, and really observe the evolution of marketplaces and technologies and how they'll disrupt existing businesses. But also another part of our business, and actually the, the, the business has largely made 
our little company money has is this community, this world where we bring people together in a room. People may know each other. Um, and it's, it's this sense of coming togetherness. And so when you look, and, and this is not, you know, we didn't invent this business, right? There's a lot of vertically focused B2B media companies in the world. Um, I used to work for another, another one uh, that was more tech focused in GigaOM um, that is about like knowledge and, and information and discovery, but also a sense of community. And I think there's a symbiotic relationship between those two things. Tell us, we have so many things to talk about in this episode, um, but let's let's talk about how you went about converting a in-real-life event, an in-person event, into an online event, and just what that requires. Um, and also, do you think that you being a tech company and your constituency being very tech-focused and tech-savvy, um, was it e- was it an easier pivot for you to make because of that? Well, I think compared to like a, an event company that all they really do is events in physical spaces, it was easier for us in that we're a small, fairly nimble company, and a lot a lot of our existence lives online in the form of a publication in the Spoon. And you know, we'd done small mini get-togethers online before. This was not completely unique to us, and so at some point we realized, okay. Around March, April, uh, we need to start really getting good at this. Uh, and and it was in the the March timeframe where I said, "Hey, why don't we just do a quick event and bring people together and talk about solutions and solving towards solutions in this pandemic?" And so we actually had a, a full day COVID nineteen food tech summit. And it was it was really around like it wasn't necessarily food tech so much as like COVID nineteen in the food world. How do we react? And so we had thought leaders from world of restaurants and, and grocery stores and et cetera. And we just really wanted to like test our metal a little bit and see if we can do like a big virtual event. We used a platform called Crowdcast and it was kind of insane to put something like that together in two weeks. It went off pretty well. Uh, we had a lot of people come and it, it was really uh, some really engaging conversations. But then we just started doing this more regularly, maybe one hour a week. We'd have little uh, events. But with the idea like, hey, we need to actually figure out how do we do a full-scale conference online, that was a different thing. So we also started to look towards the fall. And what's what's interesting is like, in some ways, it's a lot easier in that you don't have to actually deal with physical logistics, right? You don't actually have to have people get on planes. You don't have to have like lanyards and name badges shipped anywhere. Um, you don't have to an event space, insurance riders, uh, yeah, like you, staff you know, you to need, check in. You, events need like two million dollar insurance policies, and you need to, yeah, you just need all this event space planning. So, in some ways, that was like easier. But then there's this idea of okay, if we're going completely online, there's new things to think about. One is like just simply time zones, right? Like this, we thought well, it's exciting to go completely global. Like that's going to be really exciting, but at the same time, like you can't do uh, an event at 1 p.m. on in Seattle and expect someone from like Italy to be on that because they're probably going to be in bed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same with like someone in Beijing, right? So um, there's like these global time zone considerations you have to think about a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But the, and then the, just lastly, um, while that's kind of a, a, a something you have to think about, like you do have like an opportunity to do new things and bring speakers together that you normally wouldn't. So we have like 
you know, I would never be able to get Pat Brown to come to Seattle just because Pat Brown is trying to build impossible foods into like, you know, the market leader in all plant-based proteins. And so he's super busy. Um, but I've always had like this ton of respect for Pat Brown ever since I heard him speak at the Consumer Electronics Show two years ago. I just saw what a visionary he was. And I always thought, why can't I, I'd love to get Pat Brown to come speak at SKS. How can I do that? Well, as it turns out, like a pandemic actually helped me do that. So Pat Brown will be coming to speak. And that's something that wouldn't happen normally. Cause like I said, he, the thing about physical space events is like, it takes, you can't Time. do anything unless it takes like two days, three days out of your mm-hmm. calendar week. Right. That's just mm-hmm. really hard for busy people. But Hey, if I could get someone on a virtual interview for like an hour, um, that'd be great. Uh, so, and, and, and for them, it's a lot easier and they can commit to that. So so there, there's all these different things that we we're we're learning and realizing and just uh, excited about, uh, and like everyone, it's just an exciting new world that we're trying to navigate. So it's interesting to hear opportunity. Um, I think, but also maybe counterintuitive to so many people who may have the feeling that so many things are you know taken away or there's so many roadblocks or things we wanted to do we cannot do. Sometimes it's I'm hard to see the flip side of that coin, which is opportunity and opportunity costs sort of having gone down, um, not just in terms of time, but also people, you know, the expenses of sending people or a team um, to participate in an event is something. And, you know, in talking with different organizations over the years, um, people's ability to, you know, attendees' abilities to leave their job or desk for a day or two days or three days was becoming more and more prohibitive given the sort of work pace uh, acceleration that we've been seeing in you know, many companies. And a virtual option is something that was kind of starting to run tandem to many in-person events where you could maybe um, have a secondary type of ticket and live stream, or if you bought a ticket, you could live stream sort of the equivalent of you know, paying for a subscription for uh, you know, media magazine, and then you get the digital content as a part of that. Was your event moving in that direction anyway? Was this, is this something totally new for your audience? So I, I, yeah, I agree that like our, everyone's counters are getting busier and busier and it's been increasingly hard with our, with our busy lives to just jump on a plane and and carve out three days. Um, At the same time, we think that people just like to get together. So we think there's always going to be this room for a community. Um, but, you know, we, we have always, since the beginning with SKS, have had uh, the ability to access the content online. We actually live streamed the first SKS um, on YouTube. And so we, we want to provide that, that opportunity to get access to it. But, you know, I think one of the things we were thinking about as we moved into 2020 is like we actually wanted to be, have this ability to go deeper. And we were thinking about this idea of like creating like a virtual events and, and research community. And we actually did that and it was accelerated a little bit because of the pandemic. So we launched this thing called spoon plus, which we would allow basically give people an all access pass to our events and our, and research we'd be doing. So we were thinking along those lines uh, because my background is in, you know, research and membership communities and the pandemic came in and we just kind of put the pedal to the metal and, and accelerated a little bit faster, um, probably a month or two faster than we normally would have. So, 
Um, I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know that there's a pat answer. And I think right. so many things are just in a process of evolution. It's more of a, what is the status of things right now in this moment? Um, I, the, the fact that the pandemic has accelerated existing plans or has accelerated um, some suppositions about, you know, consumer market and growth in markets is something that we have been hearing from many, many different companies. And, you know, uh, just to switch gears a, a little bit in terms of the uh, trends that you've seen coming out of the pandemic, and I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about your the Spoon 25 list for this year. So many of the food tech companies that we've spoken with had said we had this we had this roadmap to offer these services or expand our company, and what we thought was going to take us three years has taken us three months. Um, and many have said that so many of the initial consumer habits, shopping with a smartphone, buying things online, starting to use um, you know contactless payments. Um, using apps for delivery and things like that. These were already, you know, trends in, you know, consumers that were already establishing a behavior set that really allowed different companies to kind of build on that rapidly um, because we didn't really have to introduce that much new behavior to people on the tech and consumer side. Um, so I, I would be curious to see because you're sitting in, in a position to, um, you know, be looking at so many, so many different types of companies and trends. What have you been seeing over the past six months? You know, like many people, we've seen the fairly, the things that are very close to us, right? My, my parents started using online grocery shopping for the first time ever. They're in their late seventies. Um, so, and, and we've all seen the rise of, of an adoption by necessity of third-party food delivery from restaurants. But if you 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 mentioned um, the Food Tech Twenty Five, which is our annual list of the twenty five most interesting companies in food tech on the spoon, and when I look at that, I, there's like this really interesting cross section of companies across things like food robotics and alt proteins and and such. And every single one of these companies and every in every single space in food tech was impacted in some way. And I would say as a whole. Um, Food tech and food innovation actually, I, I don't know benefit is the right word, but is has more interest and more excitement around it than ever, in part because I think what COVID-19 has shown to us, to us is our existing food systems are so fragile and the, the industrial meat complex or our traditional meat processing is is rife with potential problems that actually can lead to things like COVID-19. So when I look at like the space, certainly the investment into alternative proteins, whether that's lab grown meat, um, some of these new fermentation based proteins um, or the plant-based stuff has just seen more interest and, and the investment has continued from venture capitalists. And you've seen over the past six months an acceleration, it seems in terms of like new funds and new investors jumping into the space. So that's, that's really interesting. At the same time, if you look at companies that are doing something like a food robot, um, where they were serving into a vertical or a market space that was impacted, they may have had to pivot. So you've seen a lot of this fairly nimble pivoting 
by startups um, where they've had to say, hey, where I was selling something before was not necessarily working right now. So like a, an example would be like a you know, chatbotics or something like a salad robot, which is on the list. You know, if they were largely serving something in airports or like in cafeterias and all of a sudden people can't go to airport or not going to airports or not going to university cafeterias, they have to rethink where they're they're selling their their food or where, where they're selling their robots. So it, it's just been a really interesting opportunity for someone who like me, who's an industry analyst, like a once in a lifetime opportunity in a sense that you've been able to watch this fascinating market disruption and like how the ripples have been kind of rolling across all these different spaces in which you, you watch on a regular basis. It's just been a, a fascinating case study in case after case after case. It is an interesting time um, without question in so many ways. And it is notable and perhaps, you know, a bright point in some of the um, more somber financial news that it, it's quite true that there does seem to be a lot of money and a lot of opportunity in the tech world and the food tech space. You know, I noted that, you know, in the middle of, you know, the pandemic thus far, uh, Impossible Foods, Pat Brown's company, they took in 200 million, just sort of, you know, like that, almost seemingly overnight. Uh, and it's a, it is a moment of opportunity, and it is good to see um, investors and companies sort of making the leap to support some of these things that will, you know, help everyone going forward. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the startup showcase, which is a perfect opportunity for some of these companies to get in front of some of these uh, investors and experts and journalists. This, is, uh, this break will be our opportunity to get in front of you, our listeners. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit and that we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of generosity of our members, who are mostly listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one? Stay with us. Cabot Creamery has been making the world's finest dairy products for over 100 years. Cabot's award-winning cheddars and other dairy products stand apart because of their farmers' tireless dedication to quality and freshness, caring for their animals, and to healthy land and a sustainable future. More than a century after they started this journey, Cabot's farmer owners still know what matters most. Family and community the simple truth that we're stronger together than we are apart. That delicious products are the reward of a job well done. That when you love what you do this much, that the best is always still to come. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. Are you somebody who has a great startup project, a showcase event online, or just a good story we need to hear about? Get in touch with us. We are very interactive. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN, or you can send us an email, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. Today, we're talking with Michael Wolf, who is the publisher of The Spoon. It is one of the great resources and leading 
places to find all of your food tech news. You can find them at thespoon.tech and on social media at thespoontech. They have a great newsletter that if you're interested in the food tech space, I encourage you to sign up for. Today we are talking about the Smart Kitchen Summit 2020, which will be a virtual event for the first time. It will be in October from the 13th to the 15th. You can get tickets online, check out the speaker list at smartkitchensummit.com. You can follow them on social media at smartkitchencon, C-O-N. And if you're a startup and you want to participate in their showcase, applications are open until September 15th. You can find that information at the Smart Kitchen website. Ten finalists will be able to pitch to the judges and the worldwide audience of journalists, influencers, money people, and who knows who else will be online, which I think the extreme access that we have now to virtual events is going to be perhaps part of the pros of moving this to online, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about the opportunity that this affords startups. One of the things that we you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, like how things are different in the virtual world. Well, one of the things that we always struggled with when we had startups come and, and show off their their products or just other companies was it's really difficult sometimes to get products into into like a new city or or to bring it with you. Like a lot of times, these startups are building a prototype in a lab somewhere and to disassemble that, put it in a suitcase, get on a plane and take it through customs. Like that oftentimes is an impossibility. And, you know, we've had a case where like one, I remember one time a, a company was bringing, I think it was maybe a food robot or, or something. And, and they, they it, like the inspector at the airport was looking at it. And I think they actually may have broken it. Um, so that's one of the, the things that we we think, is exciting in that way. When you think about things that are completely virtual, you can go into people's worlds and see what they're working on. And we're all, you know, it's just the reality of the situation. We have to sit at our computer screen, but why can't I go into the lab and see this, this new product that you're building? And so one of the things we're doing is giving all the startups who we select, not only are they going to do a little pitch presenting the ideas behind their company, they're actually going to show us this and bring us into their spaces where they're building it. And, and if they're building something like uh, a you know a big food printing 3D food printer or whatever, we can we see it in action. So that's one of the things we're excited about: the ability to show and tell, and and see exp- and experience it with the people in the space that they're building it. That you know that's something. It sounds like you know live from the. Uh the laboratory <laughs> and, you know, the lab tour and the factory tour and the behind the scenes tour, which um, is always fun and interesting and uh, perhaps a little bit different from what people are used to seeing, which is those PowerPoint slide decks that, you know, all the companies have and they stand up and, you know, that might give an opportunity for people to really differentiate themselves because there is a little bit of a sameness to the pitches at these events sometimes I've found. Um, You know, obviously, you want to have everybody on an even playing field to a certain extent. So there is a formatting of the presentations, you know, that is required. But at the end of the day, you know, everyone's not telling the same story, but they're using the same storyline to articulate their story. Um, So this might really be an opportunity for people to uh, 
present something that really is truly unique and really shows off the, you know, the best of what they're doing in a, in a real way. What are, what types of, do you have an idea of what types of things you're looking for or what types of things you're going to see this year? Is it, are you anticipating it's going to be the same types of entries as last year or is it going to be a little bit different because people don't have to physically get on a plane and come to Seattle? Hmm. You know, we've always gotten a pretty good representation from overseas, Asia and um, and certainly Europe. So, But I expect even more of that because people don't necessarily have to jump on planes. There might be more companies willing to say, hey, can I pitch my product? Um, the variety just continues to be get more and more interesting. One of the things we've always been you know, really proud of and excited about is like we really don't necessarily say, hey, you have to have be in this certain category. If you have a really interesting product innovation or idea that you're building, a prototype that you think will change the world, will change how we eat, how we make food, and whether that's in a restaurant or, or in our consumer kitchen, like we want to hear about it. So, um, and some of the entries have been really interesting. Just some, I don't want to talk about them too much because we haven't really selected any yet mm-hmm. or selected the finalists, but there's just a really great diversity of ideas out there right now. And, and even during a pandemic, one of the things I was I was just thinking about is during times like this, and, and I think this, the similar thing happened during the 2008 Great Recession, is a lot of people will, will make fairly dramatic career changes or they'll reevaluate their, where they're, what they're doing in their life. And if, if they're working for a large corporation, but they've always had this dream to kind of go build a, a product, um, I feel like it's times like these that a lot of times people will do that, right? I think there was a lot of really innovative things and ideas that came out of the 2008, 2009 great recession. And I think we're going to see a similar type of burst of innovation spin out of this. And I think a lot of it will happen in the world of food. Well, there definitely is a global moment of sort of reflection and evaluation. And typically, you know, it's an interesting point to make that the, you know, 2008 recession, you know, was similar for the United States, perhaps, um, you know, the economics of it, giving people pause, what do they really want to spend their money on? What do they want to spend their time doing? And, you know, time being one of the most valuable assets. This moment in time, even more so, I, I believe there's even a greater amount of, you know, reflection and reassessment because it is global. It's really unbelievable to think about the entire world experiencing something so earth shattering and and changing at the exact same time and the exact same thing and i don't know i mean maybe it was the you know the last flu epidemic that that has ever really happened in our lifetime you know the entire world it's not you know, a global conflict where there are two sides and there's, you know, a cohorts of countries that are involved with the majority of countries left, you know, untouched or unscathed. So I I do think that you're right. It's, It's the perfect moment and people are really having that reflection. The other thing is that it's also a moment where if you ever wanted to do anything or make a change, now is the time because you don't have to explain it to anyone either. I don't think anybody who is creating a new product, going out and looking for a new job, changing, you know, how they spend their time, uh, you know, picking up something new or different, you know, if, you know, all people have to say is I've decided to do something different and we all understand. Right. Like there's, 
people who are fairly high profile and, and may have lots of money and they're going to say, what I'm doing is not as gratifying. I'm just going to stop this and put all my resources and time towards building this new thing. And I think a lot of that's going to happen to food. And then there's just the quiet changes that people happen. Like maybe a lot of people in their early twenties who are deciding what major they're going to major on. And all of a sudden, like, I think something like a pandemic weighs heavy on their mind and they may say, Hey, I want to really think about building sustainable food systems. So there's all these things where we're all spending a little more time thinking about what we want to do with our lives. We're, we're thinking a little bit more about things like, you know, food security and, and how we can contribute to the impact, making impact. I think that's all interesting. I don't want to downplay like what I think obviously is, is a situation that is a lot of, you know, causing a lot of pain across the world. And I think that like we're seeing societies on more unstable ground than we've ever seen before. So like, there's certainly like a lot of things that I think the world is dealing with, but at the same time, I do think if you're thinking about what you want to spend your time on, where you want to put your resources, this, there is a lot of, a, there could be an exciting feeling of, about thinking about uh, something, uh, going after something like food innovation and food tech. Like I think people are having these thoughts and it can be an exciting time. I, well, definitely exciting, maybe not with a evaluation of positive or negative, but definitely, you know, so much going on. And, you know, also just a general awareness, I think, you know, because of people, you know, maybe stopping moving around so much and changing what's happening and looking at news and getting news in a different way. You know, so many of the conversations that we've had with um, some of the food tech you know, entrepreneurs and CEOs have been, you know, we anticipated consumers would be more interested in learning where their food came from, or consumers would be more interested in having a direct relationship with, you know, their farmer or something like that. And they just thought it would take so much longer for people to understand that. Whereas, you know, this has created almost an instantaneous awareness of so many things. Um, and also simultaneously created a, a true sense of urgency with some of them um, that it's almost, you know, one, once you know, it's hard to not know anymore, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what's so interesting is seeing marketplaces that are, are being in, invigorated in, in a way that you probably wouldn't that you would have expected would have taken a decade or more. I mean, we've seen farmers and ag slowly digitizing. Um, but I think they've been by necessity over the past, you know, six months to really rethink how they're doing business, how they can maybe go to direct to consumer. Maybe they won't, don't want to keep using the same middleman. Um, if they, if you had like a bunch of food just rotting because you couldn't get it to market, like that really makes you think about like your supply chains fairly mm -hmm. robustly. Um, and then just a lot of startups out there stepping away from ag. There's a lot of startups across a lot of different food spaces that were just in the right place at the right time, whether that's, you know, someone like PathSpot that was doing like these, these hand scanners that detect whether or not you have like germs on them. Like, like what a great place to be if you're like all of a sudden, <laughs> like if, <laughs> wanting to sell that technology into restaurants or someone like Grabango, right. Who does like Amazon go like just, just walk out cashierless type of checkout technology, all of a sudden like that becomes like really potentially something that a lot of people want. So there's just a lot of startups that were right place, right time. 
And then just a lot of people who were in marketplaces that just had to completely rethink their the way they do business and, and how they would want to go to market. Well, the innovation space is always surprising um, just because it is kind of futuristic and it is the place where, you know, people have these, you know, crazy ideas and, and want to bring it to reality. So I think, you know, surprise is, is something that we see all the time. But I will ask the question, is there anything that has been really surprising to you over the past six months, something new that you really didn't see coming that just like popped out of nowhere, um, something that you thought might have grown that didn't? Um, you know, as a small comparison, I was reading um, an article about fashion and, you know, sort of the state of the world in terms of what's going to happen with that. And one a piece of the article was, uh, you know, six months ago, uh, there really wasn't a face mask business in the United States. And now all of a sudden there's a completely new category of you know, apparel or accessory that, you know, is coming in from all points, you know, around the world from the super practical and disposable up to the fantastical and not really effective. And that's something that is certainly for the United States and a lot of Europe, something that is very, very new um, that didn't exist. So, you know, again, I know we're used to seeing sort of amazing, surprising things in the food tech space because it is about innovation. But is there anything that really just made you pause and say like, wow, what? I, I can't believe that thing. Well, on a big scale and, and small scales, like on just like a scrappy, inspirational entrepreneur scale, like watching some of these small restaurateurs who, you know, knew if they stood in place and, and just treaded water, they would die. Um, so, you know, like here in the Seattle market, you know, guys like Eric Rivera that literally decided to create like pantries and, and, start like going direct to consumer and, and just embracing innovation. Um, so I think just watching some of these small operators that normally had this way of doing business, had a dining business and just had to completely rethink how they do it. And then just, um, just the, the, the vast growth in, in stepping back from restaurants, the vast growth in all these new alternative protein, whether that's through and the innovators in the spaces across the globe, whether that's in Asia or where, you know, I've been talking to a startup in, in South Africa, that's doing lab-grown, lab-grown meat. There's just all these different innovators across all these different spaces. Um, I just the excitement and the speed at which we're seeing these new ways in which future food is coming to market. It's just really been surprising this year. One thing that I would love to see, uh, and I was actually talking about it with my husband while we were having a walk on the. Uh, Hudson River Park in Manhattan on the west side was we would I would love to see a more robust uh, vending machine culture happen in the United States. You know, I, I think back to trips to Japan, specifically Tokyo, where their vending machine game is amazing. I mean, everything from like dry cleaning to groceries, but then the food offerings seem, you know, vending machines just seem like an ideal thing right now. And, you know, perhaps the locations of where they would need to be might be different from where they were six months ago. But in Tokyo, they're all over the place. They're on the street, they're in public spaces, they're in, you know, subway stations, you know, they're on the corner and um, they're so much fun, but also extremely practical. Have you seen any uptick in, in vending machines? Yeah, I mean, we've seen like, there's actually a fairly robust little microcosm of, of startups 
doing interesting stuff in that space. Like guys like Blended that are doing personalized smoothies or or some of these, there's a whole bunch of guys doing almost like ro- robotic coffee serving. serving. Um, there's definitely some interesting s- innovation happening in that space. And it's not all in the U.S. There's some happening in Europe. There's some happening in Asia. So I agree with you. I love going to Japan. I love the, ro- the really cool vending machine options there. But we are steam. We actually did a report on smart vending for Spoon, Spoon Plus, our new research offering. And there was like probably 10 or 20 really interesting startups in that space doing interesting things. And so, yeah, I, I'm excited. I, I think to your point, other people see this as an opportunity and we're going to see some interesting new offerings coming to market. So one last question for you about the Smart Kitchen Summit um, that will be virtual this October. You know, um, talk to us about how you have converted the sort of sponsor and participatory company piece of it. You know, we're so used to going to these events and being able to, you know, walk around and see things and try things. And, you know, to your point, the way people just really like getting together, there is that, you know, um, that sort of, you know, surprise and delight of, of being in a space. How how will you articulate that piece of the event this year? Well, as I, you know, we talked earlier about like this process we've done, gone over the past six months thinking about how we can pull off virtual events. One of the things we, we just had to do is think about platforms and how we can execute an event in a virtual space that can have all the things that people like. And, you know, obviously you can't do everything the same way, but we, we wanted to think about how we can bring experiences and we wanted to have sponsors. And so part of it was just evaluating platforms. We spent a lot of time doing in, in the spring on using a platform called Crowdcast. It was great in that it, it was it was very much like uh, you know, uh, some of the, the virtual platforms that allow you a lot of crowd participation, like Twitch, for example. It, it was like Twitch meets, meets Zoom, but it didn't have this robust... V- sponsor exhibition capability. And so we looked around and we found a platform called Hopin, which is a company that's getting investment from Web Summit. It's the same platform that we learned later on after we had selected it that TechCrunch is using for Disrupt. And it allows you to have exhibitions, allows you to have sponsors and they can showcase their products. So it was, you know, we're a startup. We can't build that out. You know, I had nightmares. Of, <laughs> I had nightmares <laughs> of like doing like a, a, an event where I had a bunch of Zoom calls stitched together. It just sounded like a, a complete potential nightmare. And as a small startup, you can't do that. So we had to find an all-in-one full-stack platform and hop in a lot us to do that. And there are a few others out there. Um, you know, it's by no means the only one out there, but it, we felt it had all the components, including networking, this ability to do these these kind of fairly. Uh, random collisions, casual collisions where you meet people, you know, at events where you're at an event and you meet someone like you didn't expect to meet, you can do basically fairly casual networking where you just randomly are selected or assigned to someone within Hopin. So we like that as well. So, um, and I don't want to make this a, a advertisement for Hopin. It's just like, it's the, <laughs> it's the platform we use that will allow us to execute on a lot of things you just asked about. So interesting. This is the time when so many of these you know, marquee in-person events are coming to pass on the on the calendar. You know, September and October are big, big months 
not just in New York and Seattle, but you know, around the world, we're looking at you know, how fashion companies are dealing with fashion week, you know, uh, theater, movie openings, you know, how companies are dealing with that. You know, the United Nations General Assembly is always a big event in New York City, um, you know, largely in part because of what happens with traffic in Midtown. <laughs> the fact that it usually coincides with fall fashion week also just makes New York City in September a, a jam-packed space. So it's really interesting to see how all these different entities and different strata of, you know, culture and society and business are dealing with re-envisioning an in-person event to something virtual. And there are some really creative things that are happening. Um, and, you know, something that we've, we've talked about on this show before, I do think that the, you know, COVID remote recorded from home Saturday Night Live season was really brilliant. And you may not be a fan of Saturday Night Live or necessarily think that, you know, the comedy is is funny, but it was really a brilliant piece of production. Um, very quick thinking and the way they managed to pull it off. I, I do think that there will be so many things like that that are happening this year and probably into next year, which hopefully we'll have and save and look back as being, you know, really some great moments of, you know, creativity and, you know, new ways of of articulating things and creating that community. I did see some, like a meme somewhere or a tagline that said, we're not socially distant, we're physically distant and socially close. <laughs> yeah, Which I, I mean, thought was, uh, was... That's a great, that's great. Totally valid and great and something that I would, would want to co-opt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see new ideas spin out of this where you know you're forced to basically do things in new ways and there's creative people all over the world and there's there's no there's never an end to like in, innovative ideas. I'm actually excited about this idea of hybrid virtual and physical touch points and not necessarily like okay you have like a, uh, some of the some of the the event in person and then you do a bulk of it uh, like virtually but this idea of like okay maybe you have a virtual event but then you you touch people with physical products. Like, so you, I know there's been some people doing events where you have, it's largely virtual, but they'll send the products to people's homes to sample. So like, I think like there's those types of things that I think like is exciting, um, particularly in the food space where you, you will have to touch and feel and taste stuff mm -hmm. that I think people will be doing over time. We actually had a chef from Texas on episode 213, we had two chefs on. Um, we had Philip Spear of Commodore in Texas and Franklin Becker, who's a chef in New York, talking about digital offerings that they had, you know, sort of pivoted um, into when, you know, physical restaurant dining became, you know, obsolete for a time. The interesting um, thing about the Philip Spear project, it's called Assembly Kitchen, assembly.kitchen, and they do online uh cooking classes and they send you the box of the ingredients so that you get that beforehand and then you, you know, get on, you know, I, I forget which platform they're using for the class, but then you get on there and then you have everything and you all kind of cook along together. And that is an, such an interesting idea. It's sort of, you know, it's the amalgamation of, of everything that, you know, you would need. And 100pleats.com um, is the Franklin Becker company, and that is um, virtual cooking with, you know, chefs also. Um, so it's really an interesting idea. And, you know, uh, it's, it's already, you know, sort of happening, which is interesting. 
Um, and some things like that, like Assembly Kitchen, it seems so obvious. It's like, I can't believe that the Food Network didn't partner with Blue Apron a thousand years ago right, right. to just do that. It's so obvious, right? <laughs> yeah, I you're mean, you're going to do a cooking show, you subscribe to the box, it's a meal kit, it's whatever, and then you're just done. So there's also some of this where it's like, yeah, that's a great idea. I can't believe we didn't do that sooner. I mean, we've been like watching our kids and young people use YouTube or, or whatever to learn how to cook for the past decade. And there's been a lot of people like speculating, hey, will we get learning kitchens to come back and and teaching kitchens? And what does that look like? And it took a pandemic to really kind of catalyze it because there have been like some like spaces where you could come together and learn how to cook. There's some in Asia in particular that are, are trying to make like franchise models where you, you will go in and learn how to cook with an instructor, but it hasn't really, I feel like it, it just wasn't taking off in the U S and all of a sudden we have this pandemic and you have all these great chefs who are stuck at home. So like you, I've been watching some of these hybrid virtual kitchen and, and teaching classes where they also send the food kits to consumers. It's just this new kind of really cool thing that has sprung out of the pandemic that I think is really interesting. Well, I'm sure lots more things to come um, and things to look out for. I want to thank you, Michael, for taking the time to talk with us virtually. It's nice to hear what's up in the world of the Spoon and the Smart Kitchen Summit. Thank you. And I, I wish I could be there in person and have a pizza. But uh, oh, Well, <laughs> we'll have to work on that. You know, I mean, Roberta's pizza does have delivery, although I don't think we can get to, you know, all the way out to where you are. But they also do have frozen pizzas that they were selling in retail that you could make. And I mean, maybe what we should do at some point for Tech Bites is, you know, be sending people pizzas ahead of time, and then we can all make the Roberta's pizza and have it together while we do the show. And that'll be our like virtual Roberta's Pizza Studio, something like that. I'm on board. Yeah. Well, if you want to check out the Smart Kitchen Summit, visit smartkitchensummit.com. Find them on social media at smartkitchencon. If you want to check out The Spoon, thespoon.tech and at thespoontech. They're great, great resources. And if you are a startup, make sure you put in your application for the Startup Showcase by Thursday, by September 15th. If you want to get in touch with TechBytes, send us an email, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We are a .org because we are a nonprofit. We are like public radio. Visit our website, click the beating heart, and give us a donation. Maybe what you spend on delivery and takeout today. It'll help us make more radio, help us keep the lights on. If you designate your donation to TechBytes, I will send you a gift along with my undying love. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. 
Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.